See, the thing is, immortality has always frightened me more than mortality. Because you think about living for thousands and thousands of years and seeing all the different changes on the planet and everything like that. It would just, it would grow into its own kind of horror after a while. Yeah, like just seeing how the um, music industry deteriorates. Well, I mean, it's not even like we had a music industry. Uh, Music as we know it, you know, has only existed for 150 years in terms of industry. Got old Tin Pan Alley. Broadband internet service providers and real simple syndication are proud to bring you Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. That is Jordan. And that over there is Carlin. Today we're tackling another horror film. Because oh it's gosh. our Shocktober. Shocktober. And uh, this one was a choice of Jordan's. A 1956 film by the name of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Now, if you have not heard of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you must be living under a rock. Or you may have been snatched. You might have been snatched, yes. Uh, because this uh, this film is one of the most cherished films of all time. It's actually, uh, in 1994, if I am not mistaken, it was actually placed on the National Film Registry. So it's considered to be something of a national treasure. Well, also you need to consider the fact that people will refer to pod people. Yes. And that's where it came from, was this film. But not podcasting. Correct. Podcasting is very different. Yes. Um, But pod people. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, pod people kind of became a bit of a pejorative term in in the 70s and 80s and... Going along with the masses. Yeah, exactly. Not having your own opinions. Yeah, and it also kind of implies that you're a vegetable. (laughs) Yeah. Growing in someone's garden. Exactly. And you might bubble a little bit. But anyways, let's go ahead and and take a look at the Netflix summary. And this, this, by the way, this this summary is another one of those poorly written Netflix summaries that, that gives away way too much of the movie. Um... Evil-intentioned extraterrestrials capable of replicating humans and assuming their identities invade the sleepy California hamlet of Santa Mira. I mean, that's the, that tells you everything about the yeah, movie there's, right there. There's nothing else you need to know about this film. No, except that it was directed in, or it was released in 1956. Yes. Um, well, I will say the director for this film was Don Siegel. Don Siegel. Who also directed Dirty Harry in hey, 1971. Which is an interesting tie-in to one of our other horror movies, Hellraiser. Starred, uh, um, the Hellraiser had a, a star that pa- passed between both of those movies. Yes. So, yeah, so Don Siegel did Dirty Harry in 1971. And he also did Escape from Alcatraz in 1979. Another film that was pretty highly lauded. Yeah, so this guy is a heavy, heavy hitter in terms of uh, the films that he's directed. Another one that he directed that um, is not as famous as either of the other two, just to keep him on the planes of lesser mortals, is (laughs) The Gun Runners. So, a film I, I had never really heard of, but, you know, sounds like fun. 
maybe want to check that one out? Uh, well, if I could find it. I'm, so a lot of these old films have disappeared from release unless they're really popular. You don't find them very often. Yeah. So... This film was based on a novel by Jack Finney. Jack Finney, yes. Um, and Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the budget was $416,911, and it ended up making $3 million at the box office. At the box uh, office, yeah. $3 million. Yeah. That's huge for 1956. Yeah, and especially when you consider, like you were implying, the inflation and everything involved with that. But it was also... Um, it's because of its status as a uh, a major f- piece of motion picture history. It's been released again in film theaters oh, again. Well, it's also know, been remade like TV. crazy. Yeah, like um, the the book that Jack Finney wrote, The Body Snatchers, has actually been the basis of three other movies in addition to this. One yep. came out in 1978, and it was called The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Original title. I wonder where they got that one. Yeah. It was directed by Philip Kaufman. In 1993, it was redone again, and this time just called Body Snatchers. Um, and it was directed by Abel Ferrara. And the final, most recent version of this story uh, was done in 2007 and was directed by Oliver Hirschbeigel. Or Hirschbeigel and uh, it, it was titled The Invasion. I think they're just going to shorten it for the next iteration. They're going to do it in like 2021, and they're going to call it snatched and and the tagline's gonna be you just got snatched son i think that would be a comedy that <laughs> it's going to be a teen comedy by the time it all yeah wraps up. it could be it's going to be like rear window devolves down to disturbia uh, i will say talking about the different names ties in perfectly to the fact that i wrote down other names that had been kicked around for the 1956 release yeah it ended up being invasion of the body snatchers but listen to all these other titles they thought about using they come from another world. Better off dead. Really? <laughs> yes. Sleep no more. Evil in the night. And world in danger. I think Invasion of the Body Snatchers is probably the best of those titles. Well, maybe that's why they went with that one. Uh, yeah, uh, it's like... Uh, better off dead is just... that The overtones of that, it's like a sledgehammer to the brain. Yeah. Yeah. But the actors in this film um, included uh, Kevin J. McCarthy. Um, he played the lead character, the character who was kind of the perspective character through the whole story, uh, Dr. Miles J. Bennell. And uh, he, he, he had a very long career. He passed away a few years ago. Um, but he had uh, um, s- spots in such movies as Inner Space and UHF. Uh, and then nice. he was, uh, the most recent film that he was in, uh, was actually re- released posthumously, was called The Ghastly Love of Johnny X. Mm. Um, I haven't seen all of it, but I watched part of The Ghastly Love of Johnny X, and it it's pretty good. It's like a 1950s uh, space opera style movie with doo-wop overtones. It's a musical. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Interesting. Uh-huh. And Very. then and then also, um, because, you know... it. As uh, we've seen in the Thomas Crown Affair, it's never too late to to have a cameo in a remake of your own movie. (laughs) So uh, Kevin McCarthy did that. He was one of the runners in the 1978 cameo, or 1978 version of the movie Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Cool. 
another uh, the 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 lady of the movie the not necessarily a femme fatale but the uh, the romantic interest was Becky Driscoll who was played by uh, Dana Winter and she was she's been in a lot of, of different films and TV shows uh, two notable ones were Airport and Sink the Bismarck and uh, finally um, Dr. Dan Danny Kaufman the psychiatrist in the movie was played by Larry Gates and he was uh, he had a pretty big career here as well he um, he he like was made famous in A Cat on a Hot Tin Roof mm-hmm. which is a, a big film and also in The Heat of the Night oh yeah yeah which Another is a big one. one yeah but of course um, just so Icarus doesn't tread too close to the sun we must remind the world that he did appear in Leonard Part 6 <laughs> so like one of the the biggest Razzie movies of all time so not everybody has a perfect record no no and there's plenty of paychecks to go around yeah uh, I had a few tidbits of information about the film okay so uh, the film was shot in the course of 23 days. It was originally supposed to just be done in 20, but they had to take 23. The crew would work, the cast and crew would work six days on and then be off just Sundays. Yeah. Which is kind of brutal, yeah. in my opinion. Um, the film was originally recut after they did a screening of it. And people in the audience were laughing in the wrong places. Yeah, the thing was, from what I understand, they were mixing comedy with the the like the horrific aspects of the yeah. film. And the movie does still have some funny lines in it. Yes. But it's not supposed to be a funny movie overall. Yeah. They cut a lot of the comedy stuff out when they got that reaction. And they were kind of like, oh, not good. This isn't what it's supposed not to be. Not what we wanted. But, yeah. you know, that's actually... That shows um, how Hollywood takes feedback and actually uses it positively rather mm-hmm. than, you know, most of the times when they they focus groups on things to death and it becomes a film that nobody can really watch. Yeah. And then the last thing I wanted to bring up, which kind of speaks to how we've gotten away from things that I thought were once cool, um, promo things for films. That, that theaters used to do. They used to do fun, interesting promos for films. Um, you don't get that at all anymore. It's just like, here's a stand-up of what the film is. Um, just some pictures. But for Invasion of the Body Snatchers, a lot of the theaters had in their lobbies a display of a giant paper mache pod. Yeah. That the pod people in the in the film were coming from, which I was like, that's so cool. I wish they'd do stuff like that now. I think the last time I remember seeing something like that was when I went to see Lord of the Rings. One, I think it was Fellowship of the Rings, and they had um, the two statues that were on either side of the river, standing on either side of the door of the um, of the theater so you're walking in oh, that's kind of cool yeah and then another one that they had for the next movie where that was involving um going to the the forest um in, deep into the uh, to like where the ants lived they had um trees like whole trees that were going over the doors and everything so you were passing under these trees to go into the theater mm-hmm. so i mean that was the last really big marketing thing that i can remember hmm. You know, 
I mean, I I guess I'm just hoping hoping that someone will do something more interesting, a little more bold, like the new Star Wars film when it comes out. Like as soon as you okay, okay, just because it wouldn't be a podcast without mentioning Star Wars for Jordan to say something. But if you go into the the new Star Wars film and one of the ushers immediately shoots you with a paintball and yells, "Han shot first. Welcome to the film." That would be painful. I've been shot with paintballs. They hurt. Yeah, they do. What would be better is if, like, you know how, um, like, theater workers walk around with those flashlights that have, like, the red cone over them? Mm-hmm. Make those lightsabers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they could easily do that. Yeah. That would be cool. And they come in to, like, check the exits with these giant lightsabers, and they kind of wave them around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have the noise, too. <laughs> okay, but enough about that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Your marketing these days um, include, well, this is what they do. I remember um, there was a, a rock and roll movie that came out a couple years ago where you could pick up, like, this paper mache guitar. Um, It was just like a cardboard cutout. And you could pretend to be playing the guitar in front of the the musicians of the band. And then they encourage you to take a picture and then tweet it so that then you're advertising the movie for them. Aww. You know, that's... Disgusting. Yes. Yes, but, you know, people like to do that kind of thing. People love the social media. Yes, indeed. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about the actual plot of the movie because there's a lot, there's a, a lot to unpack here, a lot to peel away from the pod. Let's get those peas out of the pod. That's right. That's right. And uh, and, and go ahead and make sure you you rinse them off well because you know they if, ooze. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. kind of sticky, slimy. That's right. So. Um, the film opens up with uh, a, a doctor going into, into the emergency room, and there the police have Dr. Miles Bunnell, or just Miles as we'll call him, uh, restrained, and he's been yelling and shouting and everything like that. Turns out he's been standing in the middle of the traffic yelling, they're coming for you, they're <laughs> coming for you. Definitely seems like a crazy person. Yes. yes. To those who don't know about the pod people. That's right. Um, one of the things that really struck me about that, like, immediately, he goes from being hysterical and being like, ah, to being very calm and telling his story. Like, you mean like the the voiceover for the the movie? Yeah. Yeah, Um, it, it switches so fast, and that kind of is just a small component of a larger problem with this film, which is, well, and films of that time in general. Acting was a lot more stilted back then. Yeah, I well, I mean, that is a, t- a sign of the times. Um, we've talked about that on films like Double Indemnity, right. and that where the acting has a certain amount of punch to it. Well, it was more like sticking with a stage acting mm-hmm. with overemphasis, and we've evolved over time to get more like, let's make it more like real life-ish. Well, and also I wonder if it's a technology issue as well. Yeah, could because be. because microphones weren't as sensitive at that time. Could be. So if you have an overhead boom mic, then you have to be a little bit louder to make sure everything is heard properly. Wouldn't have been funny if, in order to really make it work, they would have to like crane their head up toward the microphone. Yeah, yeah that would have been funny. <laughs> to deliver any line, someone would have to put their head up. 
Then they would be like, it's like feeding time at the zoo. Here, Pelican. Yeah, exactly. That's... But, you know, I think... I, I think that is something that has evolved over time. And I think part of it is, you know, like we're talking about changes in technology. You can have microphones closer to the actors. Also, a lot of times nowadays, actors in, um, like if they're doing an outside scene or something like that, they'll record once talking normally as they're walking along in the outdoor scene. But then they'll go off, go in and dub their own voices. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's something that's very common right there. Another thing is that you got to remember that the evolution of the camera or the or the cinema started where there was no sound available at all. Right. So they had to tell all of the story with a very grand gestures. You were talking about, you know, translating over from the theater. That is something that did happen to a certain degree because they were taking people who could act in a visual manner and get ideas across in, in a large-scale way and then translating it over to, to uh, another medium. Someone who was an expert in, you know, overacting and just giving things through in a visual way because they didn't even have audio was like Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. That was the big one. Yeah. Clara Bow was also very good. She she starred in the um, the movie It. Um, so there, there's just other, like, you know, um, Clark Gable did some silent film too, uh, but was able to make that transition fairly well, all things considered. One thing I did kind of like, uh, but just because it was kind of hokey, but I liked it anyway, in the beginning is, is just like the overwhelming, like, impending doom music oh, during yeah. the intro yeah. credits. Yeah. 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 It's like, you're all going to be potted. You're all being snatched. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this film was not made to be the classic that it turned out to be. Right. Um, it was actually made intentionally. They had they had A films, A list films, and B list films. And A list films would star your your high name, high quality stars. You know the people who the studios paid the big bucks for. And then they would have less expensive people playing in the B list movies. This was definitely a B list movie. What they would do is they would put together like these packages because theaters only had like one or two screens. And so they would show all these movies in a row. And what would happen is people would walk in out of the theater and walk out at their own leisure. So you never knew exactly when you were walking in to see a particular part of the movie. Mm -hmm. And also this this helped with the, the drive through was developing at the same time. Drive-in. Yeah, the drive-in in the mid-50s. Mm -hmm. You know, so the drive-in is developing around the same time. So they want a movie for the, the kids a movie that is for like the the teens. the teens and then a movie for the adults and typically the movie for the adults was the big one at the end of the movie and then this one would have been the the middle one between yeah. the the three well that's still being done there's there's actually a drive-in theater near us um, called Benji's Drive-in and it's i think the only one left in Maryland yeah. still operating and i just went for the first time with my wife uh, about a month or between one and two months ago, it was awesome. And they they do the same thing. It's like usually for Friday and Saturday nights, it's two movies. For Sunday nights, or I'm sorry, for Friday and Saturday, it's three. Just the way you were saying, like for yeah. the kids and then for like teens and then for adults. And then on Sundays, they have, you know, two. 
and so it's like kind of like teen-ish and then adults but it's um it was awesome i mean just the experience of of driving it kind of makes me wish i was living back then because i would go to the drive-in all the time if that was the case why so you and your wife could make out no no, not for that reason. Just to, like, enjoy some cool films. But I, I found myself, while I was sitting there, just thinking about the types of films that were being played back then and how, I don't know, I just felt like the material was so much lighter. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it was definitely a different time in American culture. Um, the response, you know, to the World War II and the Korean War, once both of those were wrapped up, was we don't really want to think about this. We want to focus on success. And we folk want to focus on entertainment that's not going to drag us down. Um, a, a lot of stuff that's being developed these days, especially in like speculative fiction genres like science fiction and fantasy, is what a lot of critics call grimdark. Mm-hmm. Meaning they lo- that there's this gritty aspect to it and there's this dark brooding atmosphere to the world. It's like basically everything is Batman on steroids. <laughs> You know, and and so when you're used to Batman on steroids and you go look at a film that is about people being transformed into like this, not necessarily a hive mind, but no one being able to have emotions or think for themselves. um, It seems a little stilted, but when you think about it at the time, it's a very, very horrific process going on in people's minds. Yeah. Well, and you're saying, you know, back then it was kind of more, you know, light type thing. But there there still was a lot of subtext. And yes. I think Invasion of the Body Snatchers is a good example of a film with some subtext. Yes. You know, when it, when it came out, it was around the time of, you know, what they refer to as the Red Scare. Yes. Where, you, you know, you don't know if... Your family member, your friend, your neighbor your, is a communist. And your favorite celebrity could be a, a, a communist as well. Yeah, that too. Yeah. And I also find it funny that the lead in this film, his last name is McCarthy, because who was it that started the whole Red Scare fever was McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah, and, well, and that is an interesting coincidence. I don't think they... Yeah. They didn't pick him because of that. They picked oh, him, I'm sure they didn't. They picked I mean, him because he was cheap. I just thought it was very ironic. It is very ironic. Fun to point out. But it also, um, and you're very right, is that this movie does a great job of playing into... Fears. The fears of the, time. the times. Yeah. But it also, it, it cuts both ways. Mm-hmm. Because you could be afraid that... You know, your your family members are going to be turned into communists, that our country is going to be taken over by communism, or you could also be afraid that we're losing our liberties because of what McCarthyism was doing in basically putting anybody who disagreed with McCarthy on a blacklist. Yeah. You know, so it cut both ways, and it was a sophisticated statement that worked for whatever kind of media you were looking at. Yeah. Or whatever kind of society change you were looking at as well. One of the interesting things about horror uh, genre films in general is typically what they're addressing plays off of some real-life fear at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really great documentary. I, I don't know if it's still up on Netflix now or not, but the last time I checked it was, was some time ago. Um, is a documentary called uh, Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue. Mm-hmm. And it's 
looking at decade by decade horror films in the United States and breaking it down by each decade, like what were the things going on in that decade societally and globally, and you know how did that play into the fears that were in these films, and you know I just think it's really interesting because people kind of view horror as fluff. You know, like there's not substance to it, that it's basically just, you know, you, you see people getting killed and then, you know, you get some entertainment and you're done with the film. You don't right. take anything away from it. But if you really stop and look at it, it's speaking to who we are at that time as a people a lot of the times. Yeah. It's saying, this is what we're afraid of. And then you can kind of look at it and be like, well, why are we afraid of this? And by the way, just so you know, my Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue is still up on Netflix streaming. So if you want to go watch it, then that would be a perfect it's awesome. thing to do. It's a great documentary. Uh, probably uh, we'll review it at some point here. But another thing I wanted to mention is that, um, you know, it shows the fear of the other. You know, and that's, yes. that is one of the biggest things that I've been thinking about over this past year is how we as people scapegoat other people and we make them into the other. So, you know, with the pod people, it's like, I know this person, but their viewpoint is changed. There's something different about them. So now they're the other, you know, and we have to be afraid of them. Now, it's not something... in, In the movie, the other is seen as this invader that we can't place our feelings on. These days, who's the other? It's... People from from the Middle East, you know, and it's people from Central and South America who are emigrating to the United States, mm-hmm. and it's also in a in, from another point of view, it's people who are are wealthier than we are, or I mean, as as white men who are employed full time with college degrees, you and I are are the other to a whole bunch of people. Yeah, potentially. The and and that, you know, kind of goes along with the fact that this this film is actually still relevant. Oh, very much so. Because it's about you know being afraid of the other, or the red scare, and now we're going through the whole you know terrorist cell scare. You yes. know, you don't know if there's someone in your city, in your state, whatever, who is planning a terrorist attack. Yeah, and you know, and and. This film speaks to that. You know, you think you know someone or you think you know who's just living around you and then all of a sudden you find out it's a pod person who's plotting world domination. Yeah. Um, The phrase that they use over and over and in the film, which I think is very interesting, is epidemic of mass hysteria. You know, and that pretty much describes a lot of, you know, the theme of the movie is that there's this mass hysteria where all of these people are changing. Well, no, what what they think is the mass hysteria is the people who are noticing the changes. Right. You know, and they're saying, well, this can't be true because this is something that's not noticed. But think about, like, all of the things that we think isn't true and that people are, are trying to raise uh, flags that don't need to, to be worried about. Like, for a long time, the environment was thought of as this thing that... Oh, yeah, well, you know, it's the environment. Things get hotter, things get colder. It changes all the time, you know. And it's always cold where I live, so I don't see how the world is getting warmer. Right. You know, but that 
is something that it seems is actually the case. Although there are still pe- people who vehemently say this is all BS and it's some trumped up right. strategy to, you know, have some sort of political pull somehow. It, it's and to get r- people riled up and get them behind some BS cause. There are always going to be the people out there who who cry foul on something, whether it is or is not, and then there are always going to be the people who say you're overreacting, whether they are or not. Well, I know there's a lot of people who cry foul over the poultry industry. Jordan, damn you. <laughs> no. I feel like I need to get like a wet newspaper rolled up and slap you on the nose with it. Bad Jordan. Bad puns. Bad Jordan. <laughs> Don't do it. I'm sorry, it was funny. But anyway, um, another thing I actually wanted to tie, you know, the invasion of the body snatchers into is it, it's it's not only relevant now because of, you know, the threat of terrorism, but because of our online lives. You know, you don't yes. know who you're talking to online. It could be someone who is a nice, well-meaning person. Yeah. Or it could be someone who's actually trying to gather information on you to steal your identity and what's more pod person than someone taking your identity becoming yes. you online yes there there's so much of that going on there. a few months ago I, um i was with my uh girlfriend at her parents house and she was uh recovering from a tonsillectomy um and so we're sitting on the couch and watching a movie and her mom comes in and said oh you're our cousin a couple generations removed um is contacted me she's trying to do a family genealogy you know and she wants all of our names and our dates of birth it's, it's <laughs> like and both me and my girlfriend we look at each other and we're like yeah don't send any information yeah don't send any of that because you don't know you think you know somebody right you think you you can trust somebody and this happens all the time is like people who they, they, people try and steal identities all the time. It's basically one of the, um, one of the, the big things that happens in Canada in Toronto is they have this group of people who steal uh, the identities of American senior citizens Mm. and they're very hard to track down, but they know that they're somewhere in Canada. Um, so you know, there's all, always this fear. But, you know, the thing is also is that we let the fear control us in a lot of ways. You know, um, we yeah. can we can say to each other, oh, well, I don't think that we should do this. I don't think we should do that because there's this fear. There's a person I know who we work on, we work in a secure facility. Nobody else is around our building, especially in the evening time. But this post- person won't walk to their car because they're afraid that someone's going to attack them by themselves. Right. You Just know? living with fear. Yeah. You, you can live with fear all the time. Yeah. You know, and after a while, I don't know how your adrenal glands can keep up. Because... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could, I could see that being an issue. Definitely. Um, switching gears a little bit. Okay. One of the things that I found kind of interesting in this film was how people just drink alcohol all the time. You know, like, one of the things that really stood out to me is when they find one of these pod bodies... Yeah. ...that I think it wasn't 100% formed yet. 
The one on the pool table? Yes, the one on the pool yeah, table. Yeah. They're was, like, man, look at this body. This is so messed up. It's got no fingerprints. What's going on here? Hey, let's all just pop over to this bar right next to it and have a drink. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny to me. Yeah, well, drinking... America has this weird thing with drinking, and, and it swings back and forth. Right now, we're in this period where, you know, drinking is okay in certain social situations, and it's okay to do at a bar, but, you know, alcohol is... Just want, wanton cons- consumption of alcohol is not really looked at positively. Um, so this this idea in the culture that, oh, yeah, finish your bourbon and then let's hit the road. Yeah. You know, that's something that we would not do. And for good medical reasons. <laughs> you know? Well, just being safe, it's like, let's drink all this hard liquor and then go driving around. Yeah. But... The- the thing you have to think about is back then things were very different. And like in 1956, there were a lot of people who were drinking at work. Yes. You know, like you you see these older films, and I think was it in like Double Indemnity? Yeah. They were like smoking cigars and, and drinking hard liquor just during the day in their office. Yeah. I mean, so it was a thing, and and you know you see, but. You see the alcohol use even more in Invasion of the Body Snatchers because it's, it's around like every freaking corner. Mm-hmm. They're like, huh, I just found this odd looking body. I think it's a dead person. Let's have a drink. Someone gets frazzled because they think someone broke into their house. Um, eh, let me take you upstairs. Let me give you some hard liquor and then you can go to bed. Um, then uh, they thought that the, the, well, some of the guys had broken into the house at one point to find out what was going on in the basement. And then the person finds him there. He's like, "Hey, why don't you come up to uh, upstairs? I'll make you a nightcap." You know, it's like everything revolves around alcohol. Well, it, it, not only not only do house breakings and and driving require alcohol, but you need a martini to start the grill. Remember the um, one of the one of the guys they're they're having a barbecue in one portion of the movie, and he's like, "Yeah, I need a martini, very very dry." And they're like, well, it, it's not even dinner time yet. And he's like, well, it's not for me. I need to start the grill. So basically he wanted to pour the alcohol onto the charcoal to get the grill fired up properly. Yeah. Of course, that leads to an important scene in the movie when when um, Miles walks into the to the, his greenhouse to get the, the lighter fluid. Because it's always very important to keep your lighter fluid right next to your begonias. Yeah. And... Um, or your pods. And your pods, because that's exactly <laughs> what he finds. The pods bubbling up and, and releasing people. Which, by the way, the practical effects right there for that. Yeah. For the time? Were really good. was really impressive. Uh, yeah. I was impressed. Yeah, you know, watching it in high def, you can see all the bubbles and everything. Mm. But at the time, it would look like this fizz that's just going like crazy. Yeah. I thought the, bub- the bubbles looked really good. Yeah, they did. Um... Yeah, I, I was I was impressed, and it just goes to show how practical effects are so great. Like even now, me looking back at a nineteen fifty six film and being like, "Wow, that actually that played like really well." Um, just stop using CG. <laughs> Everyone in the industry, listen to me. Just stop using CG. I don't know. Andy Circus would be out of a job. Yeah, that's true. But you know what? I one thing that I really liked about the movie as well um, was well, one thing I thought about a lot was. What did they do for the for the pod people? Were they act, the actual actors, like doing a side by side shot? Like because oh, there's yeah. you know, know 
the one on the pool table is supposed to be um, the the owner of the house, and he's standing right next to it. So did they do some kind of film well, delay technique, or did they... They weren't all that close up, so yeah. you could like really see the features. So they could have kind of made a bit of a, like a crude mask. Like a ma- mannequin or something? Yeah, yeah. Or it could have been another person. They just, you know, did a mold of the other guy's face and just kind of laid it over. Yeah. Because it didn't look like they even needed to have that much detail on that face because you weren't close enough to, you know, even see if it was a fully formed face. Yeah. Um, And while we're talking about the pool table scene, I thought the lighting there was fantastic. Yeah. You know, because um, when when Miles goes to look at the body, like, um, Becky and the other woman... Teddy, I believe her name was. Oh, I don't know. Um, they stay back. Is her last name Ruxpin? I know. <laughs> oh, man, Teddy Ruxpin. That brings back memories of that little <laughs> animatronic bear. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, he they all stand back in the light, and he goes into the darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, And that's just so symbolic of what that this character was was the protagonist. He was the hero. He was the one yep. who was going to go fight with whatever it was He's that was... plunging himself headfirst yeah. into the darkness to yeah. deal with whatever's going on. And, you know, a lot of the um, the film, the shadow techniques and the lighting techniques reminded me so much of the noir movies we've watched for the, for the podcast, like Double Indemnity. We keep on bringing that one up, but it's yeah. very important for... Chinatown similar. is another yeah. noir... Yeah, um, but like the use of shadow, in, especially in black and white, you need that shadow mm-hmm. to, to uh, make things stand out with emphasis. Yeah. And uh, there's this one scene, um, I think it's where he's like checking over the, the body of the, the pod person and you see his shadow is like cast huge on the wall behind him. You know, and it's this great image of how he's becoming larger than life in the eyes of the people he's trying to protect. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, he becomes another, another worldly, an otherworldly thing in front of, of those who he's with. Yeah. It, you kind of have to think like for the time, that storyline pretty original. Yeah, it actually, the book got a lot of flack for not being very scientifically accurate. <laughs> pod, pe- pod people, like, you really want the whole pod people concept to be scientific? Well, no, it wasn't It wasn't pod people that they were having a problem with. Okay. What they were having a problem with was the idea that the pods were being pushed through the soul, like the universe, on light waves. Because they, they do think that this is something that happens, but on a much smaller scale. So the idea that the pods are large enough to fit people into it was something that science fiction critics actually panned quite a bit for the novel. That kind of just, I don't know. That, that, that goes back to an issue that we're still having, which is no matter what comes out, you know, it's fiction... But people want to treat it like it's supposed to be realistic. Well, sir, it must be as real as possible at all times. We must have verisimilitude in our entertainment. I mean, maybe it's because there have been writers who take the time to go and research whatever material they're writing about so that they can be as, you know, true to life as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've been kind of, like, spoiled by that. And so now we've gotten into this mode of like oh well then it should always be accurate 
But if it's fiction, it's fiction, you know? Like, in my opinion, as long as it doesn't seem vastly far-fetched and take you out of the film, it should be all right. Yeah. Um, the whole thing like, oh, you couldn't, the pods couldn't be pushed through space if they're that size... I mean, that just seems so nitpicky. Well, and it's also, it's also not important to the point of the story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're just trying to be a dick. It's kind of my point. You're just trying to be a dick. Okay. Well, you could have just said that, Carlin. I, would have, it was, I wouldn't have taken it personally. It was, it was the last... Uh, or, or, I'm sorry. It was, it, it was the version then of Now's Trolls on, yeah. oh, online. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, people... And, and here's the thing about that, is that now it's even worse because information's so readily, readily available. So someone can not know anything about something see something in the film, they're like, I wonder if that's right or not. Google it, find a little bit, and be like, oh, this says that that's not accurate. And then post somewhere and be like, um, I have to point out that you're not totally accurate. Acting like they knew all along. Right. And it's it just it has made it so much worse. Yeah. Well, excuse me, sir, but in Batman 652, you clearly see that the penguin's nose is eight inches long. Yeah. You know, and well, I'm just using the example of the comic book character because that's something that comic book nerds argue about all the time. Yes. And yes. frankly, it annoys me. It's like I don't care. Is the story is the story entertaining and does it have something good to say about society? Is it an accomplished film in some way? Yeah. Thank you. It yeah. do, it doesn't have to mirror things exactly. Now, if it's something like the uh, remake of the book Sphere by Michael Crichton, great book horrendous movie not entertaining in the least bit yeah, as a movie that movie fell off in quality quite a bit yeah i mean that's that's different yeah. you know but when you get something like people arguing about you know some some discrepancies between comic books and and the avengers film come on i mean the avengers was a really great film it's its own thing Yes, it's using characters that exist in the comic book world, but it's its own movie. It's its own thing. Right, and and a lot of the characters don't have the same backgrounds as the other right. and in the comic books. One thing I wanted to talk about, just to move on to a different subject. What? Yeah. We're moving on. Wait, can I get you a nightcap before we move on? Yeah, if you could ref <laughs> if you could refill my um my um your vodka old fashioned here. <laughs> yeah. Make it neat. <laughs> Because you need to start a fire. Uh, now listen here. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about the movie um, was that it was is fairly progressive um, for its time in terms of the romantic relationship between Miles and Becky. You know, because both of these characters are shown as being uh, recently divorced. Which is unheard of in the 50s. Divorce is not something that happens uh, at, at all. Well, that, that's hyper, hyperbole right there. It doesn't happen a lot. You know, so for two people to wind up divorced, high school sweethearts who come back to the same town, that's something that's unheard of right there. You know, so you have that aspect of, uh, of um, something interesting, like th this thing that was not culturally acceptable at the time. And then, you know, there's a lot of innuendo between the two of them, you know, because they're walking along and um, they're flirting quite a bit. 
yeah. Uh, like, uh, she asks him at one point uh, to come inside uh, for the... For a to, drink? For a drink. No, 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 no. <laughs> because she she asked him to come inside while she turned on the lights in the house. You know, and he's that like... That sounds like a euphemism. Yes. Um, well, and he even, he even points out, you're quite... Um, you're... You, you're doing a good job of luring me into a dark hallway for kissing, mm. you know. And then they 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 make uh, jokes about um, his bedside manner. Yeah, and, I do remember that. And, and uh, he goes, "Oh no, that's for later." Yeah, it's a lot of yeah. So yeah, very flirty. So there's a lot of there's a lot of like innuendo yeah. in this movie, um, which is which is a um, a good thing to see, but it also points out that these characters are a little bit on the outside themselves. Yeah, well, they're very much on the outside because, like you were saying, you know, being both being divorced and then also being, like, at some point the only people who haven't been body snatched. Right. You know? Well, I and also her dress was pretty amazing, like, with all the, the lace that was coming out of the top of it. Yeah. It was like, that's quite impressive right there. <laughs> nice. So... If you if you're able to really immerse yourself in the film and the storyline, um, the stakes are really raised when, you know, Miles finds out that pretty much everyone he knows has been body snatched. They're all pod people, and he, then here he is with this woman, and it's just the two of them. Like they're forced even closer together because they're the only two original people left. You yeah. know, it's kind of like them against the world. And it's survival mode. And they're trying so hard to get out of Santa Mira. Yes. You know, but there there's a thing, though. Uh, Becky is walking dead for a large portion of this movie. Because what happens is you're replaced uh, when you fall asleep. And basically, yes. it's like your brain is downloaded into the replacement while you're sleeping. So, what hap like like I mentioned... He goes to drop her off at her house. She invites him in for some late night smooching, which gets interrupted by her pod replaced father. How dare he? You know, poor poor Miles C blocked by the dead. Yeah, and that doesn't make sense because pod people don't care about anything really. They're very neutral, so wouldn't he just be like, Yeah, whatever you want to do? <laughs> yeah, but it's also they don't realize he's he's a pod person. It's more well, no, than... no, I just mean, would he really be doing that? Oh, well... From the perspective of him being a pod person. Well, it was more that he was down there to take care of po po putting pod Becky's business. pod... Yeah, he was yeah. he was pod placing in Or maybe cellar. he was just trying to podcast. I don't know. He was casting the pod into yeah. a... Yes, into was. a Into a, uh, like a coal box... Um, but yeah, that's what he was doing is that, um, Kel uh, Becky's pod was, a pod for Becky was placed in the coal box and, um, and something is said later on in the film that makes, uh, Miles nervous that Becky is, is in some kind of danger. So he goes to our house, breaks in. Breaks in. Yeah. He didn't really hesitate either. Unabashedly smashes He's just like, I'm going to break into this house. He smashes the window, goes in, and he's like, <clears throat> medical call. You know? I'm surprised he didn't stop to, like, find the brandy as soon as he got I know, in there. I know. It's like, it's uh, time it's for like, a I need some brandy while I break in here. This is exhausting. 
B and E requires alcohol. Um, yeah. But he finds he finds the pod person in the in the coal bin, and then he immediately runs upstairs and literally snatches Becky out of the bed and carries her off to his house. Little does he realize that mo- her brain has mostly downloaded into the into the pod person. Yep. You know so. That that just struck me at the end of the movie is how futile his entire ex- attempt to escape was because he was literally taking a pod person with him everywhere he went. Right. You know, and all it took was her to fall asleep for a minute and, and it, it finished the process. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because well after 1956, um, going to sleep became a very big thing in in horror films. Yeah. To be afraid of. Yeah. You know, a lot of things happen when you're asleep, you know, from like Freddy Krueger to the monster under your bed is going to get you type thing, or there's something in your closet that will come out only when you're sleeping at night, you know? So it's interesting to see it here because I think it was kind of ahead of its time, maybe even started that trend of of being afraid of, of going to sleep. I wonder, I, I don't know, I don't know about that, because I think f- falling asleep is something that is kind of an institutional fear of people, you know, um, especially... Well, because you don't know what's going on you outside of your body. You don't know what's going on outside of your body. You're basically, you're lying there helpless, you know, it, it's it's a time when you're completely withdrawn into yourself and you're not with anybody else, so... By nature of that, you're very helpless, you know, just like Ely was in the bathtub during Let the Right One In, the pod people were completely helpless in their pods, you know, Miles was able to dispatch several of them with a pitchfork without any problems, or a drink. Pitchfork these pods. Yeah, that's actually, it's a tongue twister to say. Yeah, pitchfork these pods. For Miles being a doctor, he had a whole lot of feelings and hunches about things. He was very much playing the detective role, and I I did find it a little hard to believe that he would have those types of skills. You know what I mean? Like, it just seemed really out of place. If If he started out and he was, like, a police officer, a detective, whatever, like, I feel like it would have fit a little bit more, but it just seems kind of weird how he's just like a doctor and then he's all of a sudden like the sleuth yeah exactly it it didn't seem too right to me well yeah and that was that was something that got me about the movie was that you know when the when the pod person was found at the the people's house they didn't call the police they called their doctor and he comes and he looks at yeah. you know it's like you're not going to call the cops and report that you find a comatose body in your yard no, yeah. you call your doctor. Everybody knows that. The doctor's only going to do what the cops do and fingerprint the guy. No, it's because the you think you're going crazy and you want the doctor to prescribe some pills to make the body go away. Why do you need pills when you got bourbon? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Copious amounts of it. And it worked, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What also works is driving. You know, because While driving and, and drunk. Well, yes. At least back then, that's what they did. There was a really funny quote uh, that I wrote down from it um, when they had found a body and then they went back and it was gone. And someone called in and they were like, uh, they want to report a f- uh, finding a body 
and then losing it. I thought that was pretty funny. And that, and that's one of those, you know, we were talking earlier about they had some intentional humor yeah. in there, and that's one of those very nice moments of humor in the, in the film. I, I laughed. I actually laughed. Yeah. I LOL'd, you if you will. Man. <laughs> 2009 called. They want that back. Um, I'll send it back. Yeah. Priority mail, please. In a pod. Be sure to get the tracking number so you can make sure it arrives safely. Um, but one one thing that I thought was was really great was um, the level of coordination that it took to pull off the outdoor scenes, mm. like with all the people just like in mass congregating on the the town square. It's funny you just brought that up because I was just thinking about bringing that up. Yeah. As in, I thought that was a really effective scene. Yeah. It looked so creepy, and it really drove home that hive mentality. Just everyone brainless and just, just following what they're showing supposed up. to do. Yeah. Like, it looked great. Um, it played really well. Well, and it also played well because they didn't use any music for it. Yeah, it's you know? just like the silent it's creepiness. Like, it's like, okay, these people are not people anymore. Sorry, Miles, you're in trouble now. And then Miles and Becky go, decide, well, you know what? We can't run away anymore, so let's just walk through the crowds. And, and you know what? This is, you could almost say that the pod people are a precursor to the zombie. Yeah. Wait, what year was um, uh, Night of the Living Dead? Wasn't that like the mid-60s? I want to say that you're right, but I can't be 100% on that. But, I mean, regardless, they have a lot of similarities. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, zombies have significantly less brain function, and they're actually dead versus pod people or aliens, you know? Right. Well, and the thing is that zombies don't have the ability to... um, to rationalize why they want to make everybody the um, the same type of thing. They don't right. know why they want to replicate this. But um, what the, the pod people want to do is they want to take over the planet's resources, strip it clean, and then move on to the next planet. Yeah. 1968 for Night of the Living Dead. Okay, so this one, this is just a few years before that. A few years? Like 12 years? 1950. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Twelve years, pretty significant. That's a pretty good uh, group right there. It's the beginning idea of zombies. Well, at least that kind of zombie. I think there there was another movie out there called White Zombie, uh, which predates it, if I'm not... It started Bella Lugosi. Okay. Um, Yeah, so that came out in 1932. Ooh, wow. Yeah, but I think it was a significantly different kind of zombie. Okay. Of which we know there are so many different types of zombies. Apparently, nowadays, so. nowadays, now, nowadays, you can just have rabies and be a zombie. It's true. Or you can become a zombie through auditory cues. Pontypool. Yeah, that uh, Pontypool was on my list of ones to review potentially. It's still on Netflix, isn't it? Uh, as of right now, yes. Yeah, yeah, sir. I I remember watching Pontypool. On your recommendation and just being completely entranced by it. Mm-hmm. That movie was pretty good. But anyway, we're getting away from the night 
of the pod people, otherwise known as invasion, invasion. of the, pod, uh, the invasion body of the body snatchers. snatchers. Are you a pod person? Because you can't even. I feel like. I don't know what you're talking about, Carly. <laughs> you must be assimilated. But Just you, give into it. You need to understand the joy of no emotion. Which in and of itself is a misnomer, because how can you be joyful if you have no emotion? But don't listen to my logic. <laughs> Just conform. Just conform. Yeah, um, that's one of the big things, one of the big fears that it plays off in here is the fear of not being an individual and the yeah. fear of not being able to have emotions. Because um, think about it. Can you imagine what it would be like to not have emotions? And not have individualism. Just be, to be like everyone else. Do what everyone else does. No differences. Except your looks. So it's like going to work. Yeah, kind of. But, <laughs> but even, yes, kind of. But even when you're at work, like, you have different conversations. You know, people ask you Everybody about what you're into function. and everyone's into something different. And, you know, like you interact different ways. I think, I think the thing is that having no emotion and no individual line of thought would be something that would be fairly crippling, you know, to our society as a whole. Because what... C equilibrium. Yeah. Which wasn't done totally. Not done totally well, well at all. But actually in, in regards to like the whole emotionalist thing, I think Invasion of the Body Snatchers does a better job of portraying that. Yeah. Um, but also what I was thinking of is our culture thrives on having new ideas and new changes. And we we have these cycles in history of approximately every 500 years, a new change coming that is the game changer for what the world looks like and what we believe and how we function as a society. And right now we're kind of in that change with the information age dawning 9-11 9-11 is, could be considered to be a good pinpoint for that, where, you know, this is a seminal event where the world has been shifting around it, and now it's going into something deeper. Yeah, I can see that. It's a good point. Very good point. Oh, body snatching. Body snatching. <laughs> I, I love the fact that, um, that, I think I mentioned this before, but Miles does, does the body snatching himself. So it's almost like the home invasion of the body snatcher. It's like... I don't think you talked about that on podcast. Oh, I didn't? Miles, it was yeah. off podcast. Well, he, like, he, when he breaks into to Becky's house, he finds the pod person. His immediate reaction is like, I gotta snatch a body. Yeah. And so he doesn't take the, the pod person because he doesn't know the pod person. That would be impolite. So he's afraid of the body snatchers, yet all along he's been a body snatcher. Yes. In a way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So he goes, he scoops her out of bed and runs out. He's that literally snatched That which you fear the most. Is what you become. Yeah. Or what you've all, always been. And yes. you're trying to hide it. Well, I, I don't think his first marriage ended because of... Uh, snatching ladies. Ne- no, negative things. I think it was because he was snatching ladies. Because <laughs> he was snatching ladies. Yeah. I think it was because he was a doctor, yet he was having so many feelings and hunches. Which probably gets in the way of a relationship. I, I think he might have been a workaholic who had a had a bottle bottle problem. So a alcoholic workaholic. Yes, alcohol workaholic. <laughs> a worka alcohol. Yeah. Anyway, 
fill in your own whatever. I, I think it's time to give our final assessments of the movie. Yes. Um, who wants to go? I'll go ahead and go first. Go ahead. I um, I like this movie a lot. I remember the first time I, I saw it was New Year's Day about six or seven years ago. And I remember just sitting on the edge of the couch, like, just enraptured with this movie. Um, and watching it again, it was a lot of fun. And it, it's, it's a strong script, especially strong for its times. It's got a lot of interesting, innovative thoughts. And like we said, it, it could be seen as a precursor to the modern zombie movie, as well as a f- film about free will and giving into the changes of society. It's a film about both McCarthyism and communism at the same time, and also uh, the fear, the mass hysteria of um, the things changing. So there's a lot of great stuff that's packed into the movie. There's a lot of funny stuff. There's a lot of serious stuff. The special effects are great, and uh, the soundtrack is pretty good as well. Um, overall, I think that this is probably a three-and-a-half-star movie for me. Okay. Um, I believe that the material was interesting, especially mm-hmm. for the time, pretty original stuff. Um, it played on fears that definitely were there and it's cool that it's still applicable to this day mm-hmm. in different ways but it's the storyline is still applicable um, uh, there's enough entertainment in the film uh, I like that everyone just loves to drink it's it adds a, a funny aspect now uh, I'm sure uh-huh. back then I'm sure back then no one even thought about it they were just kind of like yeah that's what you do um, I like the humor portions of it. I thought were pretty interesting. Some of the stuff didn't play like the best. Like not everything holds up. You no. know, like I was saying, the acting stilted. Now it, it, you want to see something more realistic because that's kind of what you're used to. Um, so that kind of takes you out of it a little bit. Practical effects I thought were really good. The pod was awesome. Um, there were some really good scenes, like you know everyone coming together in the town square to grab those pods. Um, so there was a lot of stuff that was done properly. The overall overall storyline I thought was executed pretty well. Um, not a perfect uh, film, but I think good enough to warrant three stars. So three and a quarter stars. Go out and uh, go ahead and check out Invasion of the Body Snatchers. If you like what we're doing, uh, if you enjoy these reviews of films, go ahead and let us know. Uh, we're always uh, looking for feedback, so please feel free to either shoot us an email or you can go ahead and contact us on Facebook, join our, our page on there, comment on uh, the, the different reviews. Also, uh, if you want to leave us a five-star review on iTunes, then we'll go ahead and take whatever suggestion you have and bump it to the top of the list. And, of course, we're always looking for people to provide f- further films to explore. Yes, please. So that has been Carlin. That has been Jordan. And I think we need nightcaps. You've been listening to Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. Our theme music was provided by Sweet Wave Audio. To find more royalty-free music for your own projects, check out sweetwaveaudio.co.uk. And special thanks to Ariana Ramos for her graphic design savvy helping us with our album art. Visit our website at mostexcellentmovienight.com to listen to other episodes, give us your opinion, and share with us other movies you'd like to have reviewed. You can also contact us through our email address, mostexcellentmovienight.com 
at gmail.com. We would love to read them on the air. Also, if you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes, we would be your friends for life. For sure. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night, where movies are most excellent. This has been a Nerd Circle podcast production.